today on Ag News Daily. Well, it has to be maddening to the growers who can't get in the fields, to be sure, to see that others have been able to run unbridled across the central Illinois counties. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast. And sadly, it's just going to be me today, guys. So sit back and buckle up because I'm going to take you through a roller coaster here of Ag News. Mike is going to be bringing us the interview today, so we're tag teaming it here. He caught up with Max Armstrong, who is a farm broadcaster himself, one of the vets in the industry. So do stay tuned for that. I think they have a more lighthearted discussion, but also talk about some of the key issues impacting ag today and what Max has seen from his perspective. But when we look at ag news for today, it's kind of a slower news day, but we did see a little bit of news, I guess you could call it that if you uh, wanted to, but the four farm bill negotiators of the top four principal ag leaders met in Capitol Hill today. It doesn't sound like a lot got established, got done. It doesn't sound, there's no way it's going to get done, it sounds like, before the November 6th elections. They're saying, though, that they aren't going to pass a farm bill extension until they're positive they can't complete it by January when the new term starts for whatever officials are elected here at midterms. They uh, were seen walking out arm in arm. There's a funny picture I saw on the news today of all all four of them walking out linked arm in arm, saying that they are coming together. They are working to find a farm bill that suits all parties, which, you know, somebody is not going to be happy about it. But we are going to keep watching that. It sounds like Conway and Peterson are going to be sticking around in D.C. here for a couple more days to uh, try and get some, make some headway before the lame duck session. But progress is, of course, hard to come by at this point. So, going to continue watching that. In other news, there is a bipartisan bill at the president's desk now, or heading to the president's desk, that would help with opioid addiction in rural America. I think we've discussed this one a little bit before in the past, but the bipartisan bill would provide a wide range of public health measures to help respond to the opioid crisis And it passed in the Senate on Wednesday by 98 to 1, so now we're waiting to see if the president will sign it. He has said in the past, though, he would sign this bill, so I don't see any issue there. The bill looks to solve the severe shortage of treatments and providers across the country, particularly in rural areas. This was definitely geared towards folks in rural America who I know struggle with opioid addiction, I think more so than any other demographic farmers in particular really struggle with that which it's tough thing farming is a tough game so i'm not surprised by that by any measures but the uh, usda also announced today that they have put together a new opioid i guess it's a tool you could call it a tool they've launched an interactive data tool to help Community leaders build grassroots strategies to address the opioid epidemic and the opioid misuse. Community assessment tool enables users to overlay substance misuse data against socioeconomic status and census and other public information. It's going to be interesting. I'm not sure how helpful this tool is at this point in this stage, but that is also available in the USDA announced that just today. In other dairy news in particular, 
July butter hit its imports all-time high. The U.S. imported a record seven and a half million pounds of butter in July, which which uh, surpasses a previous record from May of 2004, which at that time was 5.8 million pounds of butter. And I thought this was interesting. Most of that butter came from drumroll, please, da -da -da -da, Ireland. So that that was an interesting connection there. As I just was in Ireland a couple of weeks ago, and their dairy industry is definitely strong and growing. When we look at some meat packing plant news today, JBS has been staying out of the limelight for quite some time, but they are back in it today. JBS is recalling six and a half million pounds of beef due to a possible salmonella contamination. The recall comes from a facility in Tolleson, Arizona which includes a variety of packaged items and dates ranging anywhere from late July to early September. So the uh, Department of Agriculture's Food and Safety Inspection Service, or FSIS, labeled the issue as a Class 1 recall, denoting a, quote, health hazard situation where there is a reasonable probability that the use of the product will cause serious adverse health consequences or death. So far, the uh, investigation launched by FSIS has identified 57 illnesses across a 16-state radius as part of the outbreak. So, JBS identified was identified as the common supplier of the ground beef products in question. So just be careful when cooking those ground beef products if you don't know exactly where they are coming from, if they're not coming from your farm in particular. In other news, in other trade news more specifically, President Trump made some comments earlier in the week about NAFTA and the steel and aluminum tariffs that he has in place against Canada and Mexico. As we know, that is a big sticking point for Canada at this point. They really want to see President Trump roll back those steel and aluminum tariffs if we are to go forward with NAFTA 2.0. But President Trump said when asked by reporters if he intended to remove the tariffs, he said, quote, no, no, the steel tariff is staying where it is and aluminum. He said later on in some other remarks that without these tariffs, there would be no new NAFTA. And without tariffs, you wouldn't be, we wouldn't be standing here. So it sounds like President Trump is sticking to his guns there. But a poll done by DTN and the progressive farmer Zogby analytics poll shows that rural America continues to support President Trump. If given a chance to cast their ballot votes differently in 2016, more than 70% of respondents said no. So it just shows we have continued support for President Trump and he continues to make moves in rural America that I think continue getting him support and getting him traction. In addition to showing support for President Trump, 45% of the participants in the poll said that they are satisfied with the direction President Trump is taking the administration, uh, that is taking, that the Trump administration is taking policy, farm policy, more long term. And only 30% believe that President Trump devotes enough attention to rural America. So we're seeing that we are overall, as a farming and rural community, happy with what President Trump has done, but we wish he would give rural America a little more acknowledgement and a little more time. And I'm thinking that maybe next week, next Tuesday, at the Council Bluffs rally, 
President Trump might give rural America a little more attention. And a final piece of news for today, kind of a lighter fun piece here before we get to our great interview with our buddy Max Armstrong. And that is a poll done about fast food eating in America. As we know, America is the number one consumer of fast food. We are kind of the creators of fast food. And it's no surprise, really, to me when I was reading this, that we consume a lot of fast food. According to a study done and a new report from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one in three adults chow down on fast food on any given day. That's uh, not really surprising. One in three adults eat it every day. But the interesting thing, I think, that came from the study is usually I associate fast food eating with lower socioeconomic status. It's cheaper, it's easy, it's convenient. So, you you know, usually that's the correlation is, at least in my mind, the correlation is poverty or poorer people eat fast food. However, researchers say that about 32% of lower income folks eat fast food daily. More than 36% of middle income consumers eat fast food on any given day. And 42% of those with higher incomes eat fast food on any given day. So... 32% at lower income, 42% at higher income, a 10% difference there. But I thought that that was really interesting because usually the correlation to me is if you're more educated, you know that stuff is bad for you. It's high in sodium, cholesterol, etc. And you have the money to spend on healthier foods, but that is definitely not the case according to this study. The report also found that Americans tend to taper off fast foods as they age, which makes sense. So about 45% of people in their 20s to 30s said they'd eat fast food over the prior day. That number dropped to 38% for people in their 40s to 50s and 24% for people aged 60 and older. So just a little interesting study there to wrap up our news for the day. With that, let's hop over and check out the markets for today, which are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050, or you can find them online anytime at Zaner, and that's Z-A-N-E-R dot com. Let's check out the grain markets today. Uh, seeing some mixed reactions here. The December corn contract up two and three quarters cents today at 367 and a half. While the March up two and a half cents at 3.79 and a quarter, soybeans giving up a little bit on the day. The November down two and a half cents at, excuse me, down two and a quarter cents at 8.59 and a quarter. While the January down two and three quarters cents at 8.73 even. In the Chicago wheat pit, the December contract up two and three quarters cents at 5.18 even. While the March up two cents to close at 5.36 and three quarters. Hopping over into the livestock pits. The live cattle contracts mixed on the day with the October contract up 42.5 cents at 113.62.5, while the December down 2 cents at 118.37.5. In the feeder cattle pits, seeing some losses today, the October contract gave up 90 cents to close at 156.97.5, while the November down a dollar oh two and a half to close at 157.75. In the lean hog market, seeing again some mixed markets today. The October contract up two cents at 67.50, while the December down a dollar eighty-two and a half at 55.32 and a half. And rounding out the morning with the dairy markets, the Class Three October contract up three cents at 15.84, while November down a penny at 16.03. With that, I am gonna. 
tag Mike and kick it off here to his interview with Max Armstrong. Well, today I am in the studios of This Week in Agribusiness in Batavia, Illinois, and I'm sitting at the desk of one of the voices of agriculture, a voice that a lot of you have heard. He's been on the podcast before. He's Mr. Max Armstrong. According to his desk, he is the chairman of the House Maize and Beans Committee. That's right. Yes, a uh, local radio broadcaster made that plate specifically for me, the House Maize and Beans Committee. That is very cool. We get more accomplished at this desk than they do in Washington, you see. Absolutely. Now, Max, we've been talking on the podcast quite a bit about the slow state of harvest in Mm. Iowa. You know, it's just been a struggle. We're talking rain, 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 nothing's drying. But you and I were having a conversation earlier. You work with growers from across the Corn Belt. Tell us what you're hearing in other parts, whether it's Illinois or Ohio. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Well, it has to be maddening to the growers who can't get in the fields, to be sure, to see that others have been able to run unbridled across the central Illinois counties, areas of Indiana. They've been going day after day after day with good yields being reported. And, you know, it's it's just uh, when somebody can't turn a wheel and they know that that crop is deteriorating out of the field with stalks falling at every windstorm, then, yeah, it, it does get frustrating, as you know, as you're hearing. Absolutely. Now, Max, we also have... So today for this interview, I didn't really plan anything out, Max. I just want to chit-chat with you. I know, I know. Pearson, who didn't plan. (laughs) Who'd have guessed it? But we were having a conversation earlier, and we've got an election coming up. We know that politicians like to play games. Do you want to let us in on on how you think the run-up to the election might go with regard to agriculture? Well, you know, we we see this every time there is an election. There, There are places within the budget and sometimes outside of the budget where they can pull some strings in Washington and throw these things out there in the days ahead of the election. We've seen it from, it's bipartisan. Absolutely. I mean, we've seen it from Democratic administrations. We see that opportunity out there now for this guy in the White House to send a signal over to USDA, here's some things you need to do. Maybe we'll find out just ahead of the election what that other payment could be under the bailout program for the trade war, maybe the trade war will be resolved ahead of the election. Who knows? I know you're you're not optimistic about it. I'm not sure I am either, but because there's just so much of a gulf between the two. We have seen a little narrowing of that. We've seen a little bit of action going on, I think, outside of the farm sector. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There definitely has, but man. And I guess when you then throw that together with the fact that we... Rather quickly, saw NAFTA 2, 2.0, I think you're yeah. calling it, fall into place. We saw the Korean agreement fall into place. I think uh, there for a few days, we didn't think anything was going to be happening on the trade front. And uh, so I guess that leads to a little bit of optimism and hope that something could be resolved sooner rather than later. But, you know, then there's a farm bill. I mean, that's that's still lingering out there. Now, so there are many unanswered questions. What are you hearing on the farm bill? I'm not plugged into that D.C. scene, Max. I know you've got fingers, you've got ears all over the place. Are we going to get a farm bill this year, do you think? The big stumbling block everybody keeps talking about, of course, is the work requirement that the Republicans yeah. want to see pushed through. And a lot of folks you talk to, those governmental affairs, quote, experts, uh, the longtime lobbyists who are wired to those staffers out there on Capitol Hill say that they're not even close on that one. That people have dug into the trenches, and everything else probably can be resolved in differences in that uh, conference committee. But this one is a real stumbling block. And you throw into that mix the fact that this is a very different era now 
when it comes to Washington. Uh, back in the writing of the farm bills, historically, up until the last one or two, you know, you saw that spirit of bipartisanship. Yeah, they'd talk tough on the outside. They'd go into the back room and have a few beers and get things resolved yeah. and come back and write a farm bill. That's uh, not so much the case anymore, it seems. So maybe American agriculture needs to start shipping cases of bush light to D.C. and, and maybe loosen them up a little bit. Well, you know, it is an interesting question. Are our farm organizations pulling together on the yoke the way they, they need to yeah. be? And I, and I suspect, you know, it could be argued they're doing about all they can. Uh, you know, at times in the past we saw farm associations really doing a lot of individual turf protecting. They had to worry about their own commodity, understandably. These days I think they really have to work together and say, wait a minute, we're a unified front. Uh, because that front is uh, getting to be narrower and narrower with fewer farmers. That's the truth. Now we've got time here when the members of the House presumably presumably are back home. They left 40 days ahead of the election to go home and uh, and do something. Many of them Certainly are campaigning. Certainly not campaign. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so this is probably a good time to corner your lawmaker uh, if he or she is back in the district to say, wait, wait just a minute here. You know, we need to get some things done. You need to start, if you're a Republican, start talking to the president to see what can be resolved. Uh, if you're a Democrat, to try to communicate with some of the senators there involved in the conference committee and to see if we can get this thing pulled together here in terms of getting a farm bill. You know, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you have a farm bill now or you get it in 2019. Yeah. But there are several growers who would hasten to say, Especially in the midst of a trade war, we need all of the pieces in place when it comes to promoting markets and developing markets overseas. And then there are other things, too, that, that uh, for which the funding got snagged on the 30th of September. Right. I mean, it's gone. Something I, I read somewhere, something like 50 different programs, their funding is now gone as of when the bill expired on the 30th. Now, Max, we can talk policy and markets and all that gobbledygook, but people get that anywhere. Why don't you tell us what's coming up on This Week in Agribusiness? What cool <laughs> stories are you bringing the people? We're bringing them you. Well, well, <laughs> yes. Of course, you're going to have a blockbuster episode uh, this weekend. But you know, tell us, I mean, we you are guys proud to have you and Delaney on our broadcast on a regular basis. Absolutely. Delaney has done a number of great reports from the field for us. And, who knows? Maybe we can get you in on a more regular basis in the future. I've got a fantastic camera on my phone, Max. I can shoot video well, anywhere. I don't know that we want amateurs shooting <laughs> our video. But. Now, now, you and Orion did have a chance to travel out to the World Dairy Expo. Now, that's yeah. not a show that I have ever been You've to. You've never been there? Never been. Never oh. been. I wanted to go this year, and I kind of forgot it was like now. You get to pick out on ice cream, a different kind of ice cream every day, and oh. they have those grilled cheese sandwiches every day. Oh. Uh, yeah, and you know, you could imagine that this year the atmosphere would have been terribly downbeat yeah. because there are so many dairy farmers who gave it up, right. especially in the state of Wisconsin, oh. during this long, prolonged, dark tunnel in the dairy industry. You have to remember, though, that many of the folks coming into this event are from elsewhere around the world. It truly is the World Dairy Expo. Okay. Now, the global dairy industry has been hurting, too. Right, yeah, nobody's really yeah, a winner. New Zealand, everybody has yeah. been in a world of hurt. Uh, but some of these folks, you know, they're in it for the long haul in terms of breeding stock, and uh, I would imagine the values are certainly not what they've been in the past. Uh, but I did talk to one exhibitor at the show who said, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's not what it generally is, but... These are folks who are optimists by their makeup. You have to be to be in this business. Oh boy. As one North Carolina grower phrased it in a feature we had this week on our broadcast, uh, farming is a business of hope. 
I mean, you, you, you have to have hope. Yeah. You know, to think about that crop that is prone to so many different things that can wipe yeah. it out. Yeah, there's very few other industries that you borrow money and then kiss it goodbye for six months and hope it comes back to you with a little bit to spare. Now, Max, you mentioned North Carolina. Of course, you spent a lot of time in North Carolina. You had Hurricane Florence. We've talked some of the numbers, $1.1 billion in damage yeah. to agriculture. About three times worse than Hurricane Matthew two Jeez. years ago. What you got to remember, see? Matthew was about two weeks later. Oh, Florence was. so harvest was pretty well finished. It was much more advanced, and there was so much crop in jeopardy, and you know the, the farmers were hustling to bring it in in North Carolina, but they just couldn't get enough in quickly enough. So, wh- what are you hearing from growers that you work with down there that you talk to in North Carolina? Was it, I mean, catastrophic for pretty much the entire state, or were there pockets that they're still going to get a corn or bean or cotton crop? No, there were still some places. Obviously, they were going to have crops. Uh, you know, you got farther away from the ocean, from that southeast part of the state. Uh, there wasn't as much damage. Okay. Uh, but you have to remember that area down in that southeast part of the state is where a lot of the production comes from. That oh. Blacklands region over next to the Atlantic is very productive soils, highly productive, and those growers have a lot of acreage of corn and soybeans there. You also have to remember that the swine operations are down in that southeast region. Now, they stretch up closer to Raleigh. Uh, they get within, oh, probably 35, 40 miles of Raleigh, some of the biggest uh, okay. swine units. Yes, they did have some manure pits that overflowed, but I would bet you, if you did a count, if you went around and you talked to the municipalities mm-hmm. and asked, uh, did your particular uh, pit here with your waste treatment facility overflow, I bet you it would exceed the number of swine yeah. facilities that overflowed. I think there were about 30 yep. in the swine industry out of 3,000. That's incredible. I mean, given 40 inches of rain, that speaks to, to my mind, it tells how prepared the North Carolina hog producers were being, considering this was a hopefully, hopefully once in a lifetime event. They were very proactive. They knew yeah. they had to be. They're right in the crosshairs of, of the environmental activists oh. and, and out of state lawyers who come in and get huge judgments out of juries in Raleigh. Now, that's true. We've talked for a, a little bit on the podcast about the several now $50 million judgments that have well, come there, down. I think there have been three that three. have been done. And these are jurors sitting in a federal court in Raleigh. Okay. They've been about 90 miles away from the hog operations. And to my knowledge, not a one of those jurors has seen in person, gone down and visited, uh, the judge doesn't think it's necessary, evidently, for them to go and actually see what's going on down For an, a nuisance, right? It's a nuisance lawsuit. It's a, it's a nuisance suit. An out-of-state lawyer comes up from Texas. He goes door-to-door, and he says, look, I can bring you thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. homeowner, because you live next to a, a hog operation. And, and the, the pork producers, some of them know these people. Sure. Their neighbors, of course, they've known them for decades. Yeah. But when money is waved in their faces, <laughs> it turns neighbor against neighbor. Absolutely. And now the ag industry as a whole has has really, I think, recoiled at the thought and, and at the outcome of these cases. What's the sense of it in North Carolina? Is it talked about very often, these nuisance cases? Yeah, Are it, people generally in favor it, of this verdict? It's talked about, but it's two different worlds. When you, when you think about the people in Charlotte or you think about the people in Raleigh, they're a long ways away from the farms, and they've seen the constant barrage in the media. Uh, from the environmental, quote, damage that is being mm-hmm. done, you get into those communities where those hog farms are operating, 
You go up and down Main Street, and a lot of those people realize that if they lose those hog farms, if Smithfield Foods comes in, pulls those out, puts them somewhere else, you'll hear this great big sucking sound out of Main Street in places like uh, Clinton, North Carolina, where the hog industry and the, the turkey operations are a mighty supporter of the community in a number of ways. Uh, jobs, for, right. for one thing. Businesses up and down Main Street. The schools. Tax revenue. The churches that are supported when something is put in the plate on Sunday morning by those folks who are raising hogs you or raising bet. turkeys for an integrator. Jeez. Max, I could chew up your entire day, but you're a very busy person. Tell our listeners if they want to watch. Oh, I always have time for you. <laughs> well, but if they want to catch This Week in Agribusiness, yeah. where do they go to get the information? Where can they watch it? Well, of course, we're on RFD-TV every weekend. And uh, the first airing is Saturday morning at 7 Central Time. Perfect. Everybody, you should be awake at, at 7 on morning, a Saturday. 7 Central, RFD-TV. Yeah. And then Sunday morning, we air at 5 o'clock. That's 6 in the Eastern Time Zone, of course. Oh, boy. And then Sunday night, we run at 9.30 Central Time. Of course, if you're in the Mountain Time Zone, that's 8.30. That's <laughs> prime time. That is prime time. And then uh, we have our last airing, actually, on uh, on Monday morning on RFD. So, so there's an airtime for each of them. And in many markets across the country, we run on a local television station, too. We're thankful that we're on about 120 local TV Jeez. stations in great places like Cape Girardeau and Greenville, North Carolina, Evansville, Indiana. Yes, yeah, so we're thankful for Channel 7 there over the years. They've carried our broadcast, and we appreciate that. So, yes, uh, there are a lot of places to catch us. And you can also go online, farmfutures.com, where our show will run every weekend as well, farmfutures.com. That's right. That's where I catch is on Farm Futures because my wife is Dutch and we're not allowed to have cable. So it's Farm Futures online. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. She, doesn't, limited, she doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, Max Armstrong, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Keep that antenna over the house there in good shape, pal. You're going to need it. <laughs> Well, that does it for today's Ag News Daily podcast. We encourage you guys to follow along with us on social media. You can find us at Ag News Daily, or you can listen to any of our past episodes by heading to agnewsdaily.com. With that, I hope everybody has a great Thursday afternoon. I'm going to let you go. (laughs) 